Good evening. I'm glad to be back in person with the Sangha, in person via Zoom. <laughs> I'm back in Santa Cruz, um, having been in Arcata recently. Happy to see you all again. Thank you for being here, supporting each other with your presence. I'd like to speak tonight about working with uncertainty. You know, we're on the eve, nearly, nearly the eve of remembering the events of 9-11, almost 20 years ago. And uh, our society has gone through quite a lot in these years. So working with uncertainty, both on that scale and on the day-to-day operations of our lives. <clears throat> what is it like to work with great doubt, uh, boredom, or anger, or confusion, or the delightful feelings of life as well? What is it like to work with group dynamics when they're flowing along and when they're encumbered in some way? Sometimes it's enough to push one away from wanting to be in community. So I'd like to address this and I'll start with a couple of examples and then make reference to Catherine and to Linda Ruth Cutts and see if we can weave together a conversation together. <clears throat> so one way to work with boredom is to actually change things up on purpose. And I'll use an example out of the forms of our practice. Like we, mostly we chant the sutras and the poetry that have come down to us. And we chant them in, in rhythm as a way of being able to easily unify our voices, actually. That's part of the function of chanting and rhythm. So sometimes beginning a chant, we go, oh yeah, 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 I've heard that before. And it's kind of on automatic pilot, right? And uh, so I invite you for those things that we chant in rhythm, try on your own just reading it. Normal voice, normal punctuation, emphasis on words that stand out to you. See if you can allow these teachings to wash over you in a new way. So that's one way to work with boredom. Another way to work with boredom is to just let yourself be bored. <laughs> or, you know, I'll make reference in a little bit to something that Linda Ruth Cutts taught about boredom. Um, and we can actually use what she taught using the word acedia from um, some early text that she knew about. You know, allowing acedia or boredom or whatever the afflictive emotion is to simply be the actual. Um, Mm, what am I, what's the word I'm looking for? Mm, to actually let the feeling be grist for the mill, basically. So it's the fertile ground in which we can work, where we can do our practice. So I'll express that my faith is 
firmly grounded in the forms of practice. I think part of my role and our role as teachers is to uphold the forms of practice and to continue to provide the space so that you can experience the forms of practice. This is not the only way to practice, it's one. So in my experience, this is kind of underlying my faith, the forms of practice have the potential to be liberative. So, and now I mean liberative kind of beyond boredom, beyond uncertainty, beyond any confusion that we might be feeling. But in order that these forms do their work, we have to engage them. And we have to engage them with some intention. Intention is what I meant to say, um, but not a goal orientation. And that's a tricky crux to work out. What is intention without a goal orientation? So that by a goal orientation, I would say it's something like, um, we're not doing this practice to not get uh, or we're not doing this practice to get unboard, or we're not doing this practice to be more certain, or we're not doing this practice to have less confusion. That would be a goal orientation. So I want to talk specifically about how intention is different from that. And I've been participating I've made reference before to a group called Soto Zen Buddhist Association. It's a group of teachers, much like Patrick and Kathy and I, all over the world actually now. And there's been a dialogue, I wanna say a dialogue or a conversation or a discussion, or maybe even an argument, <laughs> I'm not sure, about uh, this particular phrase. And I'm gonna do the low-tech version of a screen share with you about these particular characters. And these characters are pronounced Sho Shin. The Shin you will recognize as mind, heart, spirit, and the Sho. I want to speak uh, to you about the Sho part of Sho Shin. And the Sho means new or beginning or um, it's used when a seed is planted in the ground. <laughs> uh, you know, before it is watered, what potential does that seed have? <laughs> and it, uh, it also is connected to the word of aspiration. So show is like, what is the beginning? What is the opening? What is the start? Uh, Mm -hmm. So, I want to talk about Shoshin in the context of something that Catherine taught many years ago. Those who were around will, will probably remember this. It was a very important top, topic. Um, it, she was responding to a student who had posed a question, something like, if there's nothing to get in practice, so kind of um, similar to no goal orientation. We're not trying to get unboard. If we're not trying to get less confused, if there's nothing to get in practice, why would I be trying so hard? <laughs> uh, 
And so the, I'm reading now from um, the collection of Catherine's talks, The Truth of This Life. And if you would like to make reference to it later, I'm reading from the particular essay called No Treats or Discounts. So um, Catherine spoke it this way many years ago. Um, if someone hears there's nothing to attain, that there's nothing to get and practice, and understands that to mean that there's no point to practice, that is a pretty superficial understanding. What is meant by this, nothing to attain, is that when we stop expecting to get something from practice, we begin to live immediately and directly in the moments of our lives. Not looking forward to the bliss of teaching, but realizing that we are always in the midst of teaching. To truly understand that this present moment is the only moment of our lives is to interrupt and thwart the obsessing planning mind. So Catherine taught very specifically about no gaining mind. So I'll read a couple more sentences from her. I know it's sometimes difficult to listen to someone reading aloud, but see if you can stay with this. She says, the reason we sit still in this posture in stillness is so we can hear the teaching physically in our bodies as well as in our minds. Zen practice doesn't make promises no treats or discounts. In Zen, you have to pay the full price. You have to go into your own joy, your own suffering, your own bliss, your own arrogance, dismay, pain, <clears throat> and allow it all to evolve. In other words, we have to be complete human beings. So this Shoshin, is a way at uh, arriving at our completeness as human beings. The Shoshin, uh, one of the teachers on SCBA, recalled going, uh, working at San Francisco Zen Center when Suzuki Roshi was still alive and cleaning in the library. And this teacher came across uh, a book uh, with words, a book with words in Japanese and in English, of course. And um, Suzuki Roshi had written in the margin uh, next to the words for Shoshin. And he was kind of toying around with how to translate them. He ended up translating it as beginner's mind. Isn't that right? That just so touching to feel Suzuki Roshi was working with how to communicate this uh, nascent beginning seed-like aspiration of mind, body, heart, spirit. And he translated that as beginner's mind. 
So this is, I feel it as the aspiration of being free of wanting something else. <laughs> the, the aspiration of present moment awareness. Mm -hmm. So with Catherine's admonition that there are no rewards, there is no easy way we kind of have to put in the hard work of returning again and again to this moment. As someone said to me recently, you can't be compassionate in this situation unless you're in this situation. <laughs> you have to be present to this one in order to express your compassion. And not so long ago, um, Catherine also quoted Jane Hirschfield saying this, It's as if you were to sit very quietly in the woods. After a while, the animals begin to emerge and you see the full amplitude of life that is, in fact, already there. The intention is to live your whole life in that kind of awareness instead of living in a haze of distraction, hope, and fear, as we usually do. These wise teachers are pointing us towards Shoshin, there's nothing to get. Isn't that wonderful? <laughs> okay, so Zazen is the training of being present, of finding stillness. I would say it kind of happens this way. Finding stillness, and in the meeting of stillness, karma quiets itself. It doesn't go away. We still have the conditions of our lives, but the, the cyclical and repetitive nature of karma quiets itself. And then we're free to see the Dharma unfolding right before our eyes as it has always been. So I'm gonna offer you a, a strategy, two strategies actually, for interrupting the spin of the karmic life one of the strategies is to find your go-to question. What is it that you could say to yourself that would interrupt the reaction before it spins out and causes harm, for example? So for some people, it's the question to say, what just happened? In our literature, we have the question to ask, what is this? Or someone recently told me, her question, what was that all about? <laughs> right? And it, these questions kind of get at, uh, how can I say it? In one way, just asking a question allows us to pause before we react or before we act reactively. Or another way to say it is before we actively react to our own reaction, our own narrative about what we think is happening, you know, before we get into that spin, what is this? So we get better at interrupting the reactivity and we get better at apologizing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, I just kind of overreached, didn't I? Yeah. Let's see if we can come back and meet in this moment.
with the opening of that pause, we can see, oh, here we are, being human, as Catherine suggested. The heart of compassion opens for the person with whom we're interacting. Now something other than positional barbs verbally exchanged. Now something other than that reactivity can ha happen. Later, we can ask ourselves after we're quieted, uh, another and perhaps deeper question. What is the basis of that? Explore that in the companionship of a trusted friend or a neutral outside listener. What is the basis of that? And let's see if I can heal the basis of that particular karmic spin. But as long as we're in the clause of I'm right, we're hooked into familiar and reactive patterns. So asking yourself a question is one way to get at that. I'm going to give you a very body based strategy, and it's actually part of Zazen instruction. Tai Chi teachers say the same thing. Qigong teachers say the same thing. Put the tip of your tongue up against the roof of your mouth behind your teeth. And this is actually a neurological thing that happens in the body that allows thinking mind, cognitive mind, and feeling heart to talk to each other. So bored, confused, having some doubt, having a reactive, angry feeling, whatever, place the tip of your tongue behind your teeth on the roof of your mouth. Pause for just a moment and see what emerges. So I think partly what's happening there is that we realize nothing special. There's nothing special. There's nothing to get other than being there, being in that place in that time. <clears throat> Arriving at a practice place like Zen Center or your own home now in front of Zoom or your own home in your set-aside place, <clears throat> we kind of expect to get better, you know, to to touch something exotic. And I myself have reinforced this by showing you characters that are not our language, you know. We expect to touch something exotic, but I want to underline that there's nothing special happening here. It's just ourselves in the process of allowing ourselves to be fully human. Just this ordinary way, meeting this ordinary way, which makes it very extraordinary, mostly because it doesn't happen very often that we allow that to completely unfold. Settling the body-mind, seeing through karma, and therefore seeing dharma. Participating, we're participating in the whole works as it unfolds, the co-arising of the whole works. I assert that this creates trustworthiness in Sangha, because we know that we will return, we know that we will take refuge. This Shoshin 
I don't expect you to remember these characters, but you might come across them again. Show, new beginning, the seed, the uh, aspirational moment of the mind, body, heart, and spirit. So, beginner's mind. It seems like um, beginner's mind... beginner's mind as an aspiration seems like the beginning and and something we've been taught all along called bodhicitta bodhi means awake or awakened citta means mind the same as sheen so it seems like beginner's mind is the beginning and bodhicitta is the goal or the end but actually they're synonymous Bodhicitta is already present and fully developed in beginner's mind, in Shoshin. During this COVID time, we've been reciting a poem called uh, Grass Hut, the Song of the Grass Hut. And I encouraged us early on to include this in our recitations because here we all were going to be in our hermitages and we didn't know how long. I myself continue to be surprised at how long we are in this hermitage mode. So, Song of the Grass Hut, just sitting with head covered, all things are at rest. That's the poem, the part of the poem that's pointing toward settling the body-mind and seeing through karma. All things are at rest. A shining window below the green pines. And for those who have been able to go to the actual zendo in the mornings, the lights are on, the, the town is dark, and there are these shining windows attractive what a wonderful place to go a shining window below the green pines jade palaces cannot compare with it you know no matter how rich no matter how elegant no matter how uh, enticing a jade palace might be does not compare with this shining window in the green pines the place where we can settle the mind and see through karma Therefore, see Dharma. And a little bit later in that same poem, who would arrange seats to entice guests? Why would we try to entice anyone here? This is here. Come, it's for you. <laughs> you have the, put, the possibility of being liberated by sitting quietly and ideally in the presence of others. <clears throat> of course, we always hope that our words exchange, that sitting with others, ringing the bells for each other's, reciting the chant, uh, we find this supportive, we find this encouraging, helpful, maybe even comforting during this time. So let's, uh, let's use Linda Ruth's example of uh, using boredom as a practice. 
she's speaking in this, it's out of the book called Windbell, which is a collection of the periodicals during that time from 1968 to the, around 2001. And uh, Linda Ruth is using Acedia and the Good Friend as a teaching and quoting from a Catholic monk who experienced boredom. And it makes it uh, experience while in prayer or in meditation makes it seem that the sun hardly moves, if at all, and that the day is 50 hours long. Has anybody ever experienced a Zazen period like that? I have. Yeah. So Linda Ruth is talking about it. Um, this may sound familiar, a feeling, whether in the monastery or at home or at work, of looking at your watch, looking at your computer screen. When do I get to take that lunch break and get out of here? The sun hardly moves. The clock stands still. And so Linda Ruth gives an example from her own life and then continues to express um, that this feeling of boredom or acedia and you could put any one of the afflictive motions in there, emotions in there, confusion, boredom is one of them, anger is another, you could put any one of them in there. The acedia moves inward and instills in the heart of the person a hatred for that place, a hatred for very life. The monk begins to think less of other people with whom they live and work. We might feel less friendly towards our co-workers. We might spend time brooding on the ways in which they have angered or offended or merely failed to encourage us. They're ruining my practice, these people. <laughs> and then the acedia drives us to desire other sites where it might be a little easier. For example, um, you know, I think I'm just going to find a, uh, it'll be different in some other place. It'll be different in some other time. It'll, some other teacher is going to do this better. <laughs> so Linda Ruth continues to teach along that same line of our tendency to want to look for it somewhere else and then encourages us towards pliancy or resilience. Fully applying your mind for good purposes at will, turning freely. This ease comes from relaxing rigid, rigidity in body and mind. Rigid ideas and rigid views about how things should be, the way it used to be, how we want it to be. So relaxing that, allowing what is to come forward and realize itself is to witness it, this kind of ease with whatever happens. So Linda Ruth also now is talking about uh, beginner's mind, meeting the present moment with a goalless aspiration. So the important point of all of this is that nothing needs to be thrown out. It's all grist for the mill. <clears throat> We're busy caring for ourselves and each other in this very difficult time. Please allow practice to influence how you interact with your day-to-day -day life. 
I've been recalling lately our old friend Brian Biefeld, and I want to read one of his poems aloud. <clears throat> and then we can turn toward some conversation. His poem expresses this uh, tension that we might feel of uh, having and wanting goals, but also having and wanting the completeness that is right before us unfolding. So here we go with Brian. This poem is called Trophies. There is this race between wanting and having run on the longest of playing fields. Two runners, one named wanting, one named having, tied at the waist. The first seems always in the lead the second at times pulls ahead, claims victory and is rewarded with many laurels. And after the sound of trumpets has faded, the runners sit in the shade of the tree of comfort. Their breathing settles into a slow rhythm. Then wanting turns its eyes to the track ahead and leaps up and takes off dragging its partner whose pockets bulge with clanging trophies. For Brian. <laughs> I invite us to turn now towards some conversation, but I think we do the refuges and a couple of announces, and then anybody who would like to stay certainly may. Are there announcements? Oh, refuges, I'm sorry. <clears throat> Beings are numberless. I vow to save them. Delusions are inexhaustible. I vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless. I vow to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable. I vow to become it. Four vows, I'm sorry, I called them refuges, but those four vows are actually, in fact, the expression of beginner's mind again and again. Thank you very much for your attention. <clears throat>